Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today's episode is brought to you by VirtualTravelEvents.com, the leading digital event platform for travel advisors and travel industry suppliers. The process of attending physical trade shows can be expensive and time-consuming for travel advisors, which is why a majority of advisors barely attend any trade shows during the year. Virtual Travel Events hosts yearly events on weddings, honeymoons, luxury travel, group travel, and so much more. It puts advisors and suppliers together with live presentations, interviews with top industry executives and travel professional peers, live chats, and the opportunity to win prizes for attending and participating. Head over to virtualtravelevents.com to learn more. What's up, everyone? Today is Tuesday, July 18th. Happy Travel Tuesday. we got a great show for you today, talking big news around the world of travel and diving into the business travel world, too. If you've been listening to the show, you could leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Podcast at TravelPulse.com is the email you can reach out and give your thoughts to. And we also have a hotline for the show now. You can call in and leave a message if you'd like. 201-381-3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. And now joining me on the show is Beth West, Editorial Director for Business Travel News. Welcome to the show, Beth. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hey, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. I've been the Editorial Director of the BTN Group for now about eight years, maybe a little more. And uh, we, our audience covers the uh, buyers of business travel inside of the corporations and organizations who are doing those deals and getting those contracts with major travel suppliers. Um, And we represent a really big part of the travel industry overall. But, uh, you know, we're separate from leisure and we do things a little bit different. Yes, business travel makes the world go around indeed. And uh, it's been an interesting ride here over the last few years for the business travel world. So Beth and I are going to discuss the state of the business travel world as well as some top tips for work trips. Uh, But first, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening to the show, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with the air travel sector and Congress is considering a bill regarding overcrowded airplanes, the Emergency Vacating of Aircraft Cabin or EVAC Act, The Federal Aviation Administration supporting the bill and solicited public opinion on whether or not seat size on airplanes created safety issues. And for more than the 26,000 public commenters that responded, uh, most of them said that they do. So, Beth, um, plane seat sizes, they they have to get better. I think think everyone can agree on that. If you disagree on that, please email me, call me, let me know. I would love to get your thoughts on that because plane seat sizes are awful in my take. But Uh, I think it'll be quite some time before they ever really do change. Your your thoughts on this bill and plane seat sizes? Sure. So um, my understanding is that the bill is at this moment asking for additional studies before taking any action. And and the studies are around safety and evacuation, not necessarily around customer comfort. So I think, you know, other other studies have been done, but I think there's a reasonable perception that – the 2019 studies, which concluded that there really were no safety concerns, were not necessarily conducted on a real-world scenario. So that would maybe include a percent of passengers who were seniors, wheelchair users, or people who had auditory or vision impairments. So I think it's it's reasonable that Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth is engaging in this type of concern. But I do think that the travel industry and 
Interestingly, business travel in particular has taken up issues like this uh, more recently, and we are really looking a lot more at accessibility and how travel suppliers, um, you know, can support more accessibility, more trust, and more delivery on uh, serving business travelers who have these types of needs. So, so that's something that business travel actually has been taking a look at as well, but. That said, to your point, assuming changes would not uh, happen quickly, I do think you're right. I think uh, the studies would need to be done, which would be the first win for anybody who's supporting this bill, whether those would net out with a safety argument to change seat configurations or sizes, uh, that would remain to be seen. Um, But without that physical safety concern, do I think change will happen? I, I do not. I do think there is an argument for the idea found in some of the public commentary that uh, like close quarters and seat sizes creates an environment where people act out and pretty much cause misery for others. Um, I do think there's some validity to that. And I think flight attendants in that regard, this is the this is a job safety thing for them as well. And I think they might have some leverage. Right. Yeah. They got to push that out, too. And with I know most times I fly like it, it's not much of a thought of well you know if there's an emergency situation right here like am i going to get out quickly or it doesn't become i guess if you fly more i don't know maybe others out there uh, think about that often as they fly it it, but it is a a safe way of travel but yeah if something happened and there's an emergency you need to get off the airplane fast enough right now i don't feel confident uh depending on where you seat uh, where you're actually seated i guess if you're like right by the door then sure yeah you're fine but or your you know exit row then you know you you're, you're staying on and helping out or else you're a horrible person. Right. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't think any change will happen in, anytime soon on, on plane seats They They want to pack as many bodies as, in those planes to get as many dollars as they can. It's always been my thought. So speaking Thank of, you. speaking of dollars and everything, um, United airlines, their pilots, they're about to get some more dollars in their bank accounts. They've reached a new multi-year deal with uh, the airline pilots association revealed that United pilots would receive a cumulative 34.5 to 40.2% increase in pay raises throughout the new four-year contract. Delta, American, and United have now all agreed to new deals for their pilots. So uh, next up is likely Southwest as they work through things. So Beth, fair compensation in the travel industry. Where else do you think needs improvement here? I mean, it's nice to see pilots get a boost. You mentioned flight attendants a second ago. I agree. I think flight attendants need a bigger piece of the pie. So any other sectors? What what were your thoughts on compensation in the travel industry today? Um, I do think flight attendants are a really good uh, point of focus for uh, increased pay. And I hope to see those discussions, um, you know, advance in the near future. Uh, I do think this is also a really interesting question. Um, hotel workers are in line for pay consideration as well. And right now, the AHLA, um, the American Hotel Lodging Association, and hotel company executives say that wages for hotel positions are really higher than they've ever been. And that's probably true. Uh, But cost of living is higher than ever as well, and especially in cities and high-demand resort locations where big hotel companies place their properties, it's really expensive to live there. So I've heard CEOs and others talk about getting more creative with other elements of compensation or benefits, not sort of wages. Um, So flex hours, schedules, sort of different ways to get on-site hotel workers back into the game. those being particularly housekeeping, uh, food service, front desk, that type of worker. 
um, the hotel industry is still really pretty behind in recovering its workforce since the pandemic. Um, I do think that higher pay should still be on the table there, but these kind of really creative things that hoteliers are talking about, like providing housing for hotel workers in certain high price locations so they can live closer to where they work. On the one hand, I think it feels like a great answer to an acute problem, but on the other hand, it also feels like it gives the hotel company way too much control over workers' lives and decisions. So to be like a housing provider, I've definitely heard that floated out there and that that's part of the consideration set for hotel CEOs now when they build a new property, like where where are the workers going to live? And I understand the consideration there, and I think it's good they're thinking about that, I don't know if building housing is the right answer. So I don't know how it all nets out, but I have some concerns about some of the approach that is not, that is kind of not, is going around wages. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I say you got to tip those workers. I mean, it's tough out there. And yeah. you bring up a good point on the, uh, where a worker's going to work, uh, where workers going to live, you know, in the, ho- the mm-hmm. hotel. So it's good that they are thinking about that. But, you know, the solution to that problem is not an easy one on that. But yeah, I'm, I'm all for flight attendants for sure getting paid yeah. more. In other air travel news, American Airlines and JetBlue announced their next steps to end the Northeast Alliance they had. So starting on July 21st, JetBlue and American passengers will no longer be able to book new code share flights on the other airline. This is all part of the process of JetBlue, really uh, stepping up and trying to make the Spirit merger happen. Whether that happens remains to be seen. But uh, Beth, you know, do you think the government should be allowed to decide who can and cannot merge on this? I do think as consumers, we rely on competition in the marketplace. So when that comes to airlines, I think like the Southwest effect, um, if you're familiar with that in terms of when Southwest goes into a market, there has been data that has shown on the routes that are served, those, um, those routes do tend to drop in ticket prices when uh, Southwest kind of starts a new route or starts uh, flying out of a new airport location. So, you know, I think that's a prime example of what happens when, you know, competition is fierce in a marketplace and that's good. Um, But without that type of route competition, I think consumers would face a bunch of high prices. And I, I, interestingly, I think it's a little bit of a similar issue to what we talked about earlier in terms of seat sizes. Um, As consumers, we don't like the tiny seats. Um, Those aren't regulated. You know, that's what this uh, bill is kind of trying to do to set maybe a minimum seat size. So um, competition to put, you know, like people's butts in those seats has not been enough to make those seats bigger. So if you translate that to ticket price and fewer competitors out there for high demand routes, um, I think ticket prices would definitely go up. So I do think there's an argument to for have an outside entity government to your question, ensure competition on airline routes. I'm not one of those people who thinks the markets always shakes itself out. I know some people do lean on that idea that the market will regulate itself, but I'm I'm not a real big believer in that one. Yeah, I don't think that the the government is too big of a, of a, of a watchdog here on the air travel. We had one of our columnists um, pin that question in, in an mm-hmm. opinion column in the last week. Are they? And his you know, fight was that they shouldn't decide who who merges, but I disagree. I think that there should be some sort of oversight in here. I mean, you, you look back at what, what's been done over the last year and everything with the compensation for delays and helping passengers out and putting that website up. And, and you, you know, like we mentioned, like you just mentioned with the, the seat size and everything. So I do think there needs to be a bit of an over, overwatch here to make sure that, you know, prices don't get too crazy or the whole experience isn't, 
you know, pull in at your wallet too much with, with prices or just an unbearable experience because they are packing extra bodies in because they want the more dollars and everything. So yeah. And you know, a bit of a crackdown here, but uh, I do still think that the JetBlue and Spirit merger should happen. And with this news, you know, American and JetBlue um, parting ways so that JetBlue can pursue the Spirit one, I, I think that it should ultimately happen, but whether or not it does remains to be seen. Yeah. You know, I don't, uh, the American Airlines and JetBlue always seem like there was a bigger question about that. I think there's less of a question about spirit merger, but I could be proved wrong. That's completely my opinion. Um, I do also think there has been so much consolidation in the airline industry in the past, let's say, 15 years that I don't think there's like a sign that, you know, government has like really overreached here that many consolidations have gone forward. So this Very doesn't true. concern me. Very true. Yeah. And rounding out the air travel news here, we got to talk about, because this was a business class passenger. So I want to get your thoughts. A flight was diverted after a passenger's hangry temper tantrum. So we talk about naughty passengers from time to time here. And this one I found rather interesting. The guy was really hungry. It's believed he was intoxicated as well, but he ruined things for everyone on a recent flight when he threw a fit because his preferred meal was not available. So sadly, the naughty passengers still remain out there, Beth. I, I can't imagine how I would have reacted if I found out that the flight was being disrupted and being diverted uh, because of a grown man's temper tantrum, though. Um, how do you think you would have handled that? <laughs> well, first of all, I feel for every flight attendant out there mm -hmm. when they go to work, they are there to keep people safe and to uh, make people as comfortable as possible. And I appreciate so much what they do. This type of traveler is annoying to other passengers but i think a real um i think they become dangerous for flight attendants and to have to face this kind of in day in and day out and the and the potential for this and and i i don't know what the solution is it's it's a bad situation as a passenger to your point um i would have been super annoyed but I wouldn't have been annoyed at the airline or at its decision to go ahead and get that passenger off the plane. I think airlines are in a tough spot because they've gotten some really bad press on sort of passenger handling over the years. And, and I think it's really hard to deal with that type of passenger while you're in a metal tube flying through the air. Right. Yeah. It's, it's easier for people, you know, on the ground to be like to have their, you know, two cents on things. But when you're up in that moment and, you know, you make a quick decision and yeah the priority is the safety of the rest of the people on board so yes do what you can to get that person off the board or, or off the plane and as quickly as possible and if you can land as quickly then yeah I, I don't think i can you definitely can't fault the airline for that and you just are more mad at, at the one guy and the situation there and at the guy uh, yeah right? hope, hope you don't and have so, to see somebody duct tape down to their seat like a, a year that's ago that's what that i happened. was gonna say we don't want to be in a situation where someone has to get taped to their seat right so the fact that they were houston to amsterdam and they had an opportunity to boot that guy in chicago i think they did absolutely the right thing and they were three hours late to amsterdam i congratulate the airline for doing that and if you ask me the uh passenger should be somewhat accountable for the amount of fuel that was dumped in order to land that plane in Chicago. Oh, all right. All right. I like that. I like that. Put it all on them. Yes. Find them like crazy. So that's it. It seemed to help a little with the fines, you know, during the pandemic when the unruly passengers mm -hmm. was kind of at its height with things. But mm -hmm. I, I don't know that that was, you know, going to be enough for something. There's always going to be people that are just awful. 
you know, it's yeah. unfortunate. That's part of the air travel experience. And we hope and pray that you don't ever have to go through any of those situations. So rounding out um, what has been trending in the world of travel, we're going to jump over to destination news and a quick one. Bali, they imposed a tourist tax that's coming and uh, they're uh, hoping that it will stop bad travel behavior. Speaking of unruly passengers here. Um, so they've had to deport some tourists. They find a bunch of people as well recently. Personally, I don't think a $10 tourist fee is going to really stop anyone from visiting <laughs> Bali. So you're still probably going to have some people who are there to party like crazy uh, in the beautiful scenery and all that. But uh, Beth, you know, tourist tax, resort fees, the, these little extra costs that continue to add up to visit a place or a hotel continue to pop up over and over. I think more and more, it's just going to pile on. So what are your thoughts on fees in travel? Well, so it's quite different, I think, leisure to business travel. For sure. I don't think, especially with the high demand for leisure travel and a great destination like Bali, and this is a little out of my league, but if I can just, you know, yeah. venture uh, an opinion here, um, I don't think $10 would keep me from going to Bali, even if I was a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think, I think that local states, countries, municipalities, they need, um, they need to refill their coffers out of a lot of, uh, uh, expenses that we have experienced over the past several years. And, and with tourism exploding the way it is, I think, uh, taxes on, on tourism are absolutely to be expected. Um, I think that, uh, the same goes at the destination level that goes at the um, hotel and, you know, other suppliers level. Uh, there's been a lot of news recently about things like resort fees, et cetera, at the hotel level. There's been some um, legal action taken as well uh, in terms of sort of obscuring those fees or not revealing those fees until maybe you're even checking out from the hotel, but definitely, you know, at the last minute in the booking process, that can't be done anymore. We've seen some hotels getting some hot water over that. I think the biggest deal is transparency and people need to know what they're buying. They need to know the fees that are involved. And for my part of the business, corporate travel managers, uh, they are often able to negotiate those fees out of the picture based on volume. So that is something that in the business travel world, we're not going to negotiate out a tax that's in, uh, you know, implemented by a municipality or a, um, a country. But what they can do at the supplier level, if we're seeing those fees and some different things kind of drip into the mix, um, those can be negotiated out. And uh, that is one way that uh, business travel is different than leisure. Yeah, I think on the leisure side, you're, you're just going to see more and more fees pop up. I don't think those are going anywhere, uh, going in any anywhere soon. And one place I think that I know it's been in the news recently, and, and they're trying to get it going. And I think eventually it will happen is Hawaii, I think they'll get a fee in place on mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. I know in Florida, they've got fees in different hotels and things like that, too. But that jumps yep. us over to our next and final what's been trending in the world of travel. Here is Universal Orlando. They announced new details for their new Villain Con Minion Blast attraction. It blends immersive sets, interactive game-based technology, custom anima animations, and an original storyline to create a one-of-a-kind blaster attraction where guests can put their villainous skills to the ultimate test. So throughout the competition, guests will use their blasters to cause as much mayhem and destruction as pos possible to earn points. So... 
a fun one there coming to Universal. I know that they've been working hard on that. Um, but Beth um, gets me wondering, you know, movies and theme parks, they really go hand in hand. So what movie would you want to see get its own theme park attraction? Okay, this is a tough question for me because I am the, my kids will tell you that I watch the most boring movies on the face of the planet. However, I love them. So I went to Universal and Disney with my kids just um, a few months ago. And it had been a really, really long time since I'd been to either one of them, like decades. And we had a great time. Um, There were two rides that I loved more than any of the others. One at Disney and one at Universal. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Disney was like an out-of-body experience. And then uh, I was totally blown away by Hagrid's motorbike roller coaster, which is, for people who don't know, part of uh, the Harry Potter rides. Um, It was totally amazing. Storytelling on the ride was amazing. Just uh, it achieves a bunch of thrills, unexpected, um, you know, accelerations. And just it was it was awesome. As I am a a documentary watcher and I think about sort of the possibilities. um, I love this documentary about origami. And I know that sounds incredibly, incredibly impossible. Um, But but. I think that some of the rides and how I experience them, sort of like how they bend time and space and particularly the Guardians ride in this one, um, that's really reflected in origami also. So I think there's some lots of possibilities where you could sort of look at the way that we can bend time and space and how that relates to origami and maybe take a movie like um, Kubo and the Two Strings and and, um, fold storytelling into that as well. Okay. Yeah, I like that. That's a that's a unique spin. Different different take there. My mind is now imagining like a structure that is looks like an origami, and that's like that's how the ride is. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be thinking about that. How popular it would be from a concept standpoint, but from an experience standpoint, I think it would be very cool. Something something unique and different. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Given that this week uh, the Barbie movie drops later this week, and I have a three year old daughter who. Loves oh. all the Barbie animated stuff on on Netflix, the Barbie stuff there, and you know, I'm wondering when we'll have a, a Barbie themed attraction or you know roller. I don't I know about a roller coaster, that. but some sort of Barbie thing. Um, I mean, I know a lot of hotels just jumped on the hype and offered to Barbie packages. There was a whole yeah. pink Barbie Malibu house that's on Airbnb and everything. So yeah, Barbie seems like a pretty <laughs> the, good one to the Disney experience. Um, Star uh, Star Wars one had to shut down because it was so expensive. So I do think that's kind of a yin and a yang of something like this. When you do something like this, like incredible um, hotel experience, I was sad to see that go. But um, looks like that one's not going to be with us anymore. But the Barb, I mean, that's a good like. Leave it to me not to think of the Barbie movie, but uh, yeah, that would be an awesome one that I can see definitely coming up. Some sort of attraction, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll see. Yeah. That, but- <laughs> podcast at travelpulse.com is the email listeners let me know your thoughts on what sort of movies you would love to see transformed into some sort of theme park attraction so now we're going to jump over to our theme of the week on business travel so beth what's the latest in the world of business travel can you give us sort of a state of the industry update on what's happening there i think like everybody else who travels corporate travel buyers are really grappling with costs but also the volumes are still a little bit down from 2019. My position based on data from Sabre and XGBT and some other big distribution systems and um, specialized travel management companies 
is that we're basically at a new normal with business travel. Certain industries are still going to have some major travel pickup. Large tech companies have lagged considerably behind in returning to travel. But there's, I think, a really big new focus on small and mid-sized corporate travel programs that have really come back strong. And that's an exciting space and a big change for our industry. Uh, We see suppliers really organizing around that in terms of wanting to do business at that level. So any of you who are listening to the podcast and you are, you might be a finance person or HR professional who is involved in creating travel policy or um, trying to negotiate uh, some uh, preferred discounts at uh, travel suppliers, this is your time. So get in there and see what you can do. There's lots of new programs. Uh, discount programs and lots of new ideas about the value of the small and mid-sized business travel program. So my advice is go for it on that. Um, I also think that things like new distribution capability is uh, really esoteric, uh, but uh, technology transformations are coming into play that are going to be a big deal for business travel. Um, I think it's not... uh, really common parlance and even maybe in the leisure space, but for the airline industry in terms of corporate business and how they want to reach their customers and sell to their customers, um, this new technology platforms that can ingest better retailing data and uh, present the products in a more sort of upselling and retailing kind of way are here. And I think they're here to stay. And that's really important for their, for our industry because I think it's been the retailing aspect has uh, lagged behind a bit. And I think sustainability is another big issue where corporate travel has a big opportunity to really change the entire industry by creating a demand scenario that can't be ignored. So large volume travel programs are really hand in hand with big companies that have made carbon reduction commitments. I'd like to see more of that reflected in travel programs and how the companies travel. Uh, But I do think at this point, it's still just more of potential and we need more maturity in the space before um, we see corporate travel really demanding that their their travel suppliers provide more sustainable options. But uh, I do think that's coming. And uh, so we'll be we'll be waiting to see how that develops. Yeah, the the discussions are happening. The talks are are going and we just want to see more action put into place when it comes to all of sustainability. So when you think of business travel and the business traveler how do you think Mm -hmm. the business traveler has really evolved over the last decade and or i guess even even so the last few years probably a little bit different given pandemic and everything but as you look you know last decade to where we are now and where where things might go in the future give us your thoughts sure so um i do think the frequent business traveler is a critical user of travel technology and i think it's largely due to their influence in the industry that, you know, the um, airline mobile apps, car rental mobile apps, um, notifications and services are as far along as they are. And then I have to say, I think airlines and car rental companies and hotels have done an amazing job with their mobile apps. They really deliver a ton of information, great um, on-time um, notifications about what's happening and, and keep people informed. And I think it's fantastic. Um, the business travel has been that repeat customer that you want to serve and gain their loyalty. And I think they've been really influential in the industry in terms of how they've changed their uh, travel patterns have changed recently since the pandemic. 
They are definitely tacking on more leisure travel to their trips and going on these sort of blended trips. And I think this is part of some of that pent up demand from the pandemic. But also, I think it's a little longer lasting than that. I think there are some lessons that were learned that to make the most of your time and the opportunities your life gives you. And I think business travelers are taking that to heart. Um, they also expect more from their companies in terms of traveler safety and support structures. And I think that's been a big change that we've seen and a big um, focus in the business travel industry is to put those structures in place if you don't already have them. Um, and I also think millennials and younger travelers come into the mix and there will be more changes, more demand for digitization, more intuitive processes baked into the, what I call kind of the workflow of business travel, which is the booking, the sort of um, interface with your travel management company. Uh, it, it can be seen as more cumbersome than leisure travel because it generally puts more restrictions and rules around what should be booked and when and how. But on the flip side, I think business travelers may come to really appreciate that more because they get more support from their travel agency and some of those safety structures. And there's been a lot of disruption in the industry right now. So um, the more they have to lean on in terms of um, support in a IROB situation or um, with a hotel that doesn't have any more room availability or whatever the issue is, um, I think there's a trade-off that's definitely worth it for following the rules. I love that. I'm glad you brought up, you know, the younger generation on how, because I was going to follow up with that. So yep. great insights on that. And, you know, with the business traveler and technology always, it's going to be continuing and we'd love that. The seamless of the apps and everything is, is certainly better. And also, I really, I'm with you too. I really hope that the blended travel aspect hangs on longer than, you know, yeah. just this initial wave of the of the pent up demand and everything, because I often hear, you know, from business travelers or um, that I've interviewed before or, or talked to and talking about, you know, oh yeah, I went to Berlin, but I didn't really see Berlin. I saw conference rooms and yeah. stuff like that. So I'm hoping that that hangs on more on that. So when we talk about, you know, Berlin or destinations in general, is there any destinations that you'd say like are trending up or is hot, I guess, for, for business travel of any, have any really fallen off or struggling to rebound or is it, it, it not much? Well, I think what um, I would say to that is that it's actually kind of hard to decipher hot destinations for business travel. Um, business travel goes where the business needs to be done. And so that could be a great city that we all know and love as a leisure destination, whether that's New York or Paris or any of those, but they could also very well be a tertiary location to open a new manufacturing plant that required a, an, you know, sort of an expansive real estate purchase at a lower price. So lots of business travel could go to those types of de destinations as well. Kind of more to, I think, the spirit of your question, we do see a couple cities struggling to regain pandemic meetings and business travel, like San Francisco. And I do think um, in that kind of scenario, there's a huge opportunity for business travelers or for particularly meetings and events to actually kind of overcome some of the cost struggles that they've been experiencing and find those destinations that really need their business. So to um, organize those meetings in a city like San Francisco or another that had maybe a little bit um, lagging behind the trajectory of recovery um, compared to some of their, um, you know, similar 
cities of similar size. Um, Nashville has become a really hot meetings destination. But I think for me, business travel, as we look at at business travel news, is really driven by that that corporate business need. Um, And one of the influences that might influence that um, is like if a big company builds a a new offices like Amazon and where they place their their sort of um, new headquarters offices. So a place like Austin or Alexandria, Virginia might be considered hot because there's more volume sort of suddenly going there versus um, maybe a, a, a city that was getting lots of attention before. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, as we talk about business travel and work trips and everything, you've done a lot. So what are your go-to work travel tips? Well, I think mine are pretty basic and I wouldn't um, I wouldn't think they would be revelatory for anybody, but I always keep a full set of toiletries in a suitcase at all times because I always will forget something. Um, and I do like to, to your point earlier, Eric, and to sort of the trend that's happening in the industry, I don't always have time because I have fairly young kids. I don't have always time, uh, have the time to stay that extra day or to do that add-on leisure um, element. But I do try to prioritize one personal thing to do while I'm away, something that's going to, you know, deliver joy outside of work. And I seek that out because you really do only live once and you should pursue the opportunities that life presents to you. So that is the advice I get. Prioritize one thing, even if it's small. And even if it's more like a, like, um, like a tradition or a, uh, a ritual, like if you like to go to this one coffee place or whatever it is, just to do it and like give yourself that little thing. I love that. Yeah, carve out a little me time in there because you <laughs> are important. Time. You know, I hate you, that term, but okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's crucial. You you gotta you gotta put that in and, and focus on yourself a little bit because work is gonna consume you, right? So sure. you gotta get in when you can on that. So and hopefully in your next few trips, you'll be able to find a, a little bit of extra leisure aspects in yeah. there. But yes, it is a little challenging with with two with kids. I have a three year old and a, a seventh month old, uh, soon to be eight oh, month yeah. old, actually checking the calendar now. But um, so you don't stay that extra night because you are not, required. No. Yeah, I'm, I got to get back quick. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Happy wife, happy life, as they as they say, happy, happy spouse, happy house, I guess. This <laughs> anyway, um, any any closing comments or thoughts or advice you want to share and pass along to our listeners here? This has been great. Thank you. Um, I would just say that um, in terms of your listeners, would you say they are mostly travel advisors? And, um, you know, what is the what is the the real core of your listeners? Because I feel like the travel advisor, the uh, consultant in the business travel space right now is so important um, with the uh, transition of technology tra- platforms and the need for great service. And I think any corporate travel buyer will tell you that a good travel advisor is so precious for business travel at the moment and staying abreast of technology changes and how those are gonna impact the travel advisor job and how those experts work best with their clients is so meaningful right now. All the disruption, all the complexities, understanding safety and security, understanding your client's policies um, and how to work within them and what to um, recommend. I think those are all um, so valued by the corporate travel space right now and, and always have been, but I think now more than ever. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, the travel advisors would be the core 
of the audience here on the show, but we do have consumer listeners and supplier listeners as well. So it's a well-rounded of an audience, I think. But yes, majority would be on the travel advisor side and we love them. And that's why I'm always shouting to the rooftops for anyone listening to always use a travel advisor out there. Well, in business travel, that is definitely the um, the go-to. And while we don't always call anymore to get them to book those trips, it's a little bit... Um, you know, higher level relationship and and understanding the real program and the policies and how that and how that all comes together to deliver value and service at the same time is uh, really at the fingertips of the travel advisor. So I think uh, it's a really important role. Definitely. Thank you so much, Beth. This has been great. Where can people uh, reach out to you or follow you on social? Anything you want to plug about yourself or, or uh, BTN? Go for it. Yeah. Well, BTN is always. Um, covering anything you need to know about business travel and sort of the dynamics of the travel industry overall and how they relate to business travel and impact the business travel buyer. But even if you are uh, not a titled business traveler, if you work in finance or if you work in HR or any kind of administrative role that touches a travel program, uh, BTN is for you. It's not just for those titled travel managers, um, that small and mid-sized program that I spoke about uh, higher up in the in the conversation. It's a uh, it's a real thing. And we want to make sure that our um, editors can share their insights with uh, with those of you who are out there who may be wondering, you know, what resources are for you and and how can you get information about, you know, meal per diems or how mid-sized companies handle their hotel um, suppliers and and what's the best practice. We've got all of that. And uh, I think maybe it's not as well um, as well socialized to that um, next level of of travel buyer. And we'd love to love to see you on our site at www.businesstravelnews.com or on our LinkedIn uh, that's easy at uh, BTN on LinkedIn. Thanks. Thanks again to Beth for providing some really great insights on the world of business travel right now. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week talking innovations in travel. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>